This morning we continue in our Advent series called The Gifts of Christmas. As John just prayed, each week the anticipation of Christmas should be building. And no little kid needs help understanding what that means and how it feels. But our goal in this series is to remember in the middle of shopping and decorating and holiday party planning, to remember the real treasures that Jesus has given us. Last week, we looked at the gift of promised hope. The old man Simeon, we said, was a picture of Israel waiting and anticipating for the coming or advent of the Messiah. Promised hope was satisfied when Simeon held baby Jesus in his arms at the temple. And this morning, we'll fast forward one more time in Jesus' life before we pull back to the birth narratives for the last few services leading up to Christmas. And the gift we'll look at today is light shining in darkness. Instead of focusing on one scripture passage, I will be reading several as we go along. So um, if you'd like to follow in your Bibles, you can uh, catch up with me. If not, the scriptures will be on the screen. Uh, first thing we'll look at is something John says in his gospel, that darkness doesn't understand or overcome light. Um, usually I read scripture and pray, and I'm not going to do that, so that feels kind of weird. So let me, let me just uh, pause and pray as we get started. Lord, uh, thank you that your word is filled with references to light and darkness, that you don't leave this question of good and evil and life and death unclear to us. It's as clear as night and day, light and dark, black and white. So Father, give us that same clarity as we look at these passages. Work in us the illuminating grace of your Holy Spirit. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the features of our house that we love is the fireplace. Lighting a fire somehow instantly creates warmth and a sense of coziness, especially as the days are getting shorter and shorter, nighttime approaches earlier and earlier. But a fire in the hearth creates warmth that goes beyond temperature. It dispels darkness. Uh, We also had a, a big box in our house over the past couple of weeks, and some of you know this truth, that protecting an appliance during shipment does not fulfill a box's purpose in life when you have little ones in your house. It just doesn't. You know, the, 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 the box takes on significance and purpose for which it was designed when it's reincarnated as a fortress or a playhouse. And it Um, not until the structural integrity of this box is compromised so significantly because the windows that have been cut out have been opened and closed repeatedly and balls thrown out of it and little children have crawled in and out of the little doorway that's too small for their bodies, only then does it sadly get dragged out to the curb for recycling. But until then, there's something dynamic about that box and something even more dynamic when there is a slightly more high-tech instrument given to a child in the box called a flashlight. Because when you're in that little box or under the covers, light dispelling darkness brings a, a comfort, 
a warmth, a coziness. It's fitting that Christmas comes right after the winter solstice. That's December 22nd. It's the darkest day of the year. Late sunrise, early sunset. Uh, And it's also fitting, someone reminded me this morning, that uh, tonight is Hanukkah for our Jewish friends, otherwise known as the Festival of Lights during the darkest time of year. And in that darkest time of the year, we celebrate the coming or advent of Jesus who shines light into darkness. As comforting as light in darkness seems to be in in, uh, different parts of our lives, especially in the lives of our children, the Apostle John points to a very different reaction to Jesus coming as light. He says this in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, In him, in Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. You could translate it also, the darkness has not overcome the light. In the natural world, if, if you were lost in the woods late at night, there's no question you would see the, the rescue helicopter's spotlight um, scanning the woods for signs of life. Or the, the headlamps on the rescue team with the search dogs uh, going through the woods looking for you and your friends. But in the spiritual realm, John tells us that darkness has not understood, has not recognized that Jesus, the light, is shining in darkness. And that word also adds a sense of rejection and opposition. The darkness doesn't want the light. It's crazy to think that darkness lost in the woods that you wouldn't want the light. Light means life. Light means rescue. But spiritually speaking, we see something very different. Darkness wants to hide. Stay in the dark. Avoid the light. Why? Because light has an additional effect beyond coziness and warmth that isn't so soothing. Cedar once had a mirror in our bathroom with fluorescent lights all around the magnified glass, and I looked into it once, (laughs) and the post-traumatic stress that I experienced means I will never do that again. I don't know why people invent these kinds of things. It wasn't pretty. I, I could blame the mirror, but... The mirror just makes it easier to see what light exposes, what light reveals, right? Every little skin blemish, every little crevice in your skin. Light causes roaches to scurry away. Light causes deer to freeze in fear on a country road. Light causes criminals to start running when the police cruiser spotlight catches them in the act. The phrase we use goes like this, what's hidden comes to light. It's revealed. So what reality is exposed at the coming of the light of Christ? It is the sinful nature of our hearts. It's a darkness, not just out there amongst the really bad people, but it's the darkness that starts within, in our own hearts. It's here, and it pushes back It tries to overcome, it resists, it opposes. That is why we need to look secondly at why salvation, uh, a picture of salvation is God's light shining into our dark hearts. No one likes to be shown their weaknesses, right? 
um, let alone hear truth that corrects or convicts. So the officer pulls you over, you're tempted to make excuses, you might even be tempted to fudge when he asks you how fast you were going. It's always lower than the reality. Or someone points out a mistake or rude behavior, and your temptation is to defend yourself. If the accusation by the officer is true, if the corrective words or the observation about your behavior and your words is true, any denial on your part is a picture of darkness trying to overcome light, resisting the exposure of what is true reality. Those little examples of life that we could probably all think of pretty easily, flow, they, they flow out of something deeper and darker. We might laugh at some of those situations, but the source of why they come out of us is deeper and darker, and it's rooted in a rejection of God, whose love is so perfect that his ways and his will are always for our best. When you don't believe that, and instead you choose to believe in false promises, you believe in substitutes for God, we call them idols, you choose to go your own way rather than um, seek after God's perfect will and obey it and rest in it, that's sin. And to use our very biblical metaphor this morning, it's darkness trying to overcome light. John writes in his first letter, God is light. And so anything that pushes back against him is darkness trying to overcome light. In our sin, we don't understand and we don't recognize that the source of life as it's meant to be fully and forever enjoyed is rooted in the promises of God, which all come to their fulfillment, their climax, their consummation in the coming or advent of Jesus the Son. In him was life, John tells us, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The darkness has not overcome it. So how could we ever receive the light, live under its searching, exposing glare, let alone love light? The only possibility is if God mercifully renews our hearts, and enables us to see this spiritual reality. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God's light enables us to see rather than overcome and resist and oppose and hide. God's light enables us to, 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 to see. He, he revives the dead. He gives sight to the blind. That's how Isaiah's prophecy can come true. It was part of our um, call to worship. Our, um, um, where, where did this come up? Uh, jo- Josh read it somewhere. Um, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. This is Isaiah's prophecy of, of the coming of the Messiah. And maybe more specifically... Isaiah's prophecy of how the people of God will recognize the coming of the Messiah. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. That leads us lastly to what we've already said and what we've read. Jesus is the light. 
It's not just Old Testament prophets like Isaiah. It's not just um, John the Apostle saying this about Jesus prophetically. Jesus makes this public statement about himself in John chapter 8. Standing in the crowd at the temple, he very clearly, without any ambiguity, says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But we still have this question that needs fuller answering. How can any sinner joyfully live under the searching and exposing glare of the light of Christ? How, how could we be okay with God's light showing, revealing our weakness, and, and worse than our weakness, our guilt that deserves condemnation? Jesus also says this in John chapter 3, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. How? Why? Because although Jesus is pure light, although Jesus demonstrated through his perfect life here on earth that he is pure holiness and righteousness and obedience and goodness, on the cross, he willingly received the justice of the Father that our dark sin deserves, our rebellion, our overcoming, our resistance, our rejection of everything pure. And so when the light of God shines on every believer in Jesus Christ, what the Father sees is not corruption, but purity. Not our dark hearts, but the heart of his perfect son, Jesus. It's like God looking at my blemishy skin, seeing everything, and instead seeing Cedar's perfect complexion, only on a lot bigger scale. It's like God listening to me squeak up here on my violin during the attic orchestra next Sunday at 10, only instead hearing Itzhak Perlman, only on a cosmic, grander scale. For the believer in Jesus, light no longer threatens. It comforts. It reminds of the fact that darkness has been overcome for you if you trust in Jesus by the light of the world. If you don't know this comfort, if you don't understand the safety of having all of your life exposed for the judge of all the earth to see. If your fear is that if there is such a God, he would naturally need to condemn, then you need to come to Jesus and see that he is the light of the world. You, you need to recognize, bow your knee, confess with your lips, believe in your heart that the only means of darkness being dispelled in you, let alone the world, is to trust in this Jesus who came, born to die on a cross. Light in Christ renews, it comforts, even as our sinful hearts still need cleansing, and even as the world that is darker and darker around us um, threatens. I don't think you need to 
uh, my help in recognizing the darkness of the world around us, do you? Some days it feels like winter in Scandinavia. Just a little bit of light, of life, of warmth, but then it's drowned out by darkness. The darkness of terrorism in San Bernardino, in Paris, and Nigeria, throughout the Middle East. We could go on and on. The darkness like a guy in Brooklyn who brought his kids to watch him murder his ex-girlfriend and her current boyfriend and then killed himself in front of an 11-year-old and a 6-year-old. The darkness of the epidemic of abortions, child abuse, pornography, human trafficking, darkness displayed in the persecution of followers of Christ just because they believe, just because they want to worship Him and not another, which represents the cosmic battle between good and evil. The world needs the light of Christ. I think that's obvious. What's dark about your world? Maybe you'd say, you know, I am so deep in the valley that I can hardly even pay attention to or care about the darkness of the world around me on the evening news or on the internet. Depression, anxiety, fears that overcome your heart, maybe some brokenness that has never tasted healing, maybe something that is fresh on your mind because the holidays remind you of loss, of grief, of loneliness, of your life heading in a direction that you never would have chosen, never would have thought. You need the light of Christ to shine in your darkness. Jesus' first advent, his first coming, brought victory over death. It brought the hope that God would make all things new as he promised. And at his second advent, at the end of history, when he comes again, those salvation plans will be consummated. They will be completed. They will be fully accomplished. All things will be made new. And a scene from the end of history uses a a metaphor that should sound familiar to us, at least this morning. Revelation, uh, chapter 21, verse 23. The city, meaning the new Jerusalem, does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb, Jesus, is its lamp. And then in chapter 22, verse 5, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. As we close, uh, I'll share the story that I came across in a little book by David McCullough. Just before Christmas in 1941, as World War II was raging across all of Europe, parts of Asia, and North Africa, and just weeks after the U.S. was suddenly dragged into this conflict at the uh, bombing of Pearl Harbor, Winston Churchill traveled across. You could go back a second, Chris. Uh, Winston Churchill traveled across the Atlantic to meet with President Roosevelt, FDR. They took part in a Christmas Eve celebration at the White House during which FDR ceremoniously lit the national Christmas tree and then addressed the American people with these words. 
how can we put the world aside as men and women put the world aside in peaceful years to rejoice in the birth of Christ? Even as we ask these questions, we know the answer. There is another preparation demanded of this nation beyond and beside the preparation of weapons and materials of war. There is demanded also of us the preparation of our hearts, the arming of our hearts. And when we make ready our hearts for the labor and the suffering and the ultimate victory which lie ahead, then we observe Christmas Day with all of its memories and all of its meanings as we should. And he then set aside January 1st as a national day of prayer and invited Americans across the country to light their Christmas candles as a picture of light shining into darkness during a time of war. Churchill then followed with his own address. His words included these. Here then, for one night only, each home throughout the English-speaking world should be a brightly lighted island of happiness and peace. How is that possible? World War II, raging. People dying. Was it political drivel? Political rhetoric? Words to pump people up, make them feel better for at least a little bit of time? The the source uh, is found in a hymn that Churchill sang for the very first time the next morning as he and FDR worshipped during Christmas services. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by, yet, yet, in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. In the darkness of the most horrific war humanity had ever known, and still to this day has ever known, the light of the coming of the Christ child brought hope and dispelled the fears of darkness. And in the darkness of today's world, I think it's fair to say that in a sense we're at war. In the darkness of today's world and in any darkness that you may be personally facing, that same light of the coming again Savior preserves your hopes and offers to dispel your fears. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your coming is the only source of hope that light can overcome darkness, that light will dispel fear, that light will preserve our hopes. We look to you, Jesus, and as the day of celebrating your birth draws near, Wet our appetites for your coming again. Heighten our anticipation for the day when you will make all things new. We pray in your precious name, Jesus.